Thanks to everyone for coming out this uh, Sunday morning. We'd like to thank those who have downloaded these talks as podcasts from iTunes and to invite them to correspond with us. Give us your feedback, comments by emailing us at utahkrishnas at gmail.com. We'd also like to thank those who have taken our membership class online at our website at utahkrishnas.org. We couldn't do what we do without your help and support. Everything is inspired by the teachings of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who is the founder, Acharya, of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. I'd like to talk to you today about having a bounce-back mentality. Life is full of things to push us down. Disappointments, setbacks, bad news from the doctor, relationship didn't work out. 500 years ago, a great Vaishnava saint named Naratam Dastakor put it very succinctly. I went to a great deal of trouble, great deal of time, great deal of energy to build a house, but it burned down. Too often being daunted and chagrined and crestfallen by these reversals, we settle where we are. We think that this is as far as we're going to go in life. We give up on our dreams and we give up on the pursuit of our goals. We get stuck in one place. But in order to see God's best for our life, we have to have what's called the bounce back mentality. That means that when you get down, you don't stay down, you bounce back up again. It means you don't have a pity party when things don't go exactly your way. You don't think, quote, life's not fair. You shake it off and you recognize that what appears to be to your harm is ultimately meant for your good. A bounce back person knows that every setback is a setup for a comeback. A bounce back person knows that every adversity is not permanent, it's only temporary. I heard a poem. Today is hard, tomorrow will be harder still. Yet God is kindly placed between a threefold screen of sunset sky, sleeps downy wings, and a dawn that sings that we may face each day apart with tranquil heart. It is said often there is weeping at night, but in the morning with the rise of the sun, the weeping is succeeded by great joy. Stop complaining, stop thinking about all the things that you've lost. This is a picture of Dave Scott. Dave Scott, incidentally, is a lifelong vegetarian. He's the only person who won the Ironman Hawaiian Triathlon eight years in a row. And he did it in his 20s and early 30s. He has the record. But he came back at the age of 42 for a comeback. And everybody knows it's a young man's race. You don't win the Hawaiian triathlon at the age of 42. And the commentators noted, here's Dave Scott, the record holder. Nice to have you back, Dave. Dave, enjoy your day. And then they proceeded to talk about the favorites, the contenders, the 25 and the 24-year-olds. The gun goes off, and the first stage is a two-mile swim in the choppy ocean. And as might be expected, Dave Scott comes out of the water a hundred places back from the first place. Then they get on their bikes and they bike 125 miles. At the end of the 125 bike mile ride, Dave Scott is 25 places from the start. He's moved up about 75 places. They get off their bikes and they start on the 26.2 mile marathon run to finish off the race. And lo and behold, the commentators start noticing, oh, that old guy's doing pretty good. He's still got some spark left. He's still got a little bit of spunk. 
because he's reeling them in from 25, he's 23rd, reels them in 19, then he's 16, then he's 11, then he's 8, then he's 7, and the finish line is getting close, and he's picking up speed, and he's pulling them in, and then he's 4, 3, 2, and he just barely, like by a couple hundred yards, missed pulling in the fellow who won it, who was a 25-year-old New Zealander. Now, everybody knows that you can't win the Hawaiian triathlon at the age of 42, but I guess nobody told Dave Scott because he didn't know it was impossible. He came within a hair's breadth of winning it. Likewise, everybody knows you don't start a worldwide spiritual revolution at the age of 70. That's a young man's job. You don't start a worldwide spiritual revolution when you've had two heart attacks. That's for healthier people. You don't start a worldwide spiritual revolution by going from your native country with $7 in your pocket to another country where you know nobody. Everybody knows that's not a formula for starting a worldwide spiritual revolution. That's a formula for dying, forgotten, and homeless in a foreign land. But Prabhupada, our spiritual master, did exactly that. Because there's an exception to what everybody knows. What everybody doesn't know is that if you line up your purposes with the purposes of God, and if you allow yourself to be an instrument, His instrument in the world, then nothing is impossible. Whatever disadvantages you have due to old age or to ill health or to poverty or not having the right connections are more than compensated for by the fact that the Lord of millions and millions and millions and millions of universes has His purposes for good to carry out in this world. And if those who are younger and stronger and better connected are not interested, then He'll pick those that don't have all the obvious advantages and He'll work His wonders through them. Nothing is impossible for God. What's impossible for man is not impossible for God. We have a prayer. If you're lined up with God's purposes under the guidance of a bona fide spiritual teacher, even a blind man can see stars in the skies, a lame man can climb mountains, and a dumb man can speak eloquent poetry. Krishna is a God of restoration, God of rejuvenation. Here are some statues of the five Pandava brothers, and if you're familiar with the Mahabharata, they were disenfranchised, they were cheated of their kingdom, they were kicked out of the palace and sent to live in the forest for 12 years of exile and in the 13th year incognito. Now, during those 12 years of exile, they must have been tempted to think, opportunities are passing us by, we're getting old, younger people are slotting themselves into our thing, we, we've gone as far as we can go in life, sitting by the campfire, living from hand to mouth, sleeping on the ground, this is his dead end, this is as far as it goes. And all the time, they were getting weakened and disoriented and disenfranchised in the forest, their enemies were getting stronger, they were developing alliances, they were uh, building up their muscles, they were eating the best food with the single-minded purpose that after 12 years, when the Pandavas would stumble out of the forest, weakened and disoriented, they would smash them with a huge army. And yet, instead of being discouraged by their difficulties and instead of giving in to their temptations, the Pandavas were encouraged. 
They knew that these troubles were temporary and that if they bore them in faith and with a good attitude, the Lord would bring them out to the other side and He wouldn't just bring them back to the point where they had been before their troubles. He would give them more prosperity, more joy, more health, more strength, more peace, and more happiness. So they were not in the least bit discouraged or down while they were in the forest. They knew that the outcome would be better than it had been before. We have the Lord of the universe in our heart. With Him beside us, no challenge, no obstacle, no gang person, no sickness, no drunk driver, no hurricane, no downward trend in the stock market is going to keep you from your God-given destiny. Each one of us has the DNA of God in us. We have the DNA of winners, not losers. Sanjaya concludes the Bhagavad Gita with these words. Wherever there's Krishna, Yogeshwara, the master of all mystic powers, who spoke into being millions and millions of universes. And wherever there is Krishna's devotee, there is victory, opulence, and extraordinary power and morality. So Krishna is already there. He's already accompanying each and every one of us within the region of the heart. We're infinitesimal, eternal particles of the Lord called Jivas, and He is called the Paramatma, or the Supreme Lord. And He's right alongside the hearts of all living beings. He's fully present, He's fully powerful within each and every one of our hearts. But what's missing? What's the one element that's missing? That if you add that one element, becomes an unstoppable, unbeatable combination. That it can overcome any obstacle, any stumbling block. What's the one thing that's needed? Us. Our simple agreement. Our simple acquiescence. Do we style ourselves other than a devotee of the Lord? Christian, Hindu, Muslim, Jew, family man. These are all good things. But are they our ultimate identity? Is that what we are in the ultimate issue? Most of those are just temporary bodily designations. When we come to the point of recognizing that our eternal position is as a servant of the Lord, and we surrender to that, we accept and acknowledge what we are eternally, and we make this declaration, my Lord, previously I've acted independently, whimsically, and capriciously without taking your advice into consideration. But from today, I surrender. I avail myself of your unlimited knowledge. I avail myself of your unlimited power. I avail myself of your unlimited persistence and of your unlimited benevolence. As soon as we agree to surrender and to serve the Lord in love and devotion becomes an unstoppable combination. Nothing is impossible. Everything is possible. Stumbling blocks become stepping stones. Now, I'm not... Naive. I know that many of you have had some bad breaks, have had some setbacks in the past. But I also know that God has put a bounce back in your spirit. I know that in dark times when you've been tempted to give up, to toss in the towel, to relinquish your dreams, there's been a little voice from inside that says, that's not who you are. You're not a quitter. You're not a loser. That's not who I created you to be. God created us not to be defeated, not to be down and depressed, but He created us to live a life of victory. He created us to overcome that sickness, to rise above those problems. Let's get our hopes up today.
You're not average. You're not ordinary. You're a child of the Most High God. You are created to live in victory. Times may get tough, but our attitude should be, I may be knocked down, but I am not going to be knocked out. Every setback is a setup for a greater comeback. It's only a matter of time before I come back, double the strength, double the health, double the prosperity that I had before. I read about the palm tree. The palm tree doesn't try to force outcomes. The palm tree doesn't try to force circumstances. The palm tree doesn't try to impose its own will. When those 100, 110, 120 mile an hour winds go, the palm tree sees trees to the right of it and trees to the left of it, trying to impose their will and being snapped like toothpicks. The palm tree bends with the circumstances, sometimes almost horizontal to the land for as much as four or five hours. And while the palm tree is bending parallel to the land, the roots, what we don't see is the roots are gripping down. While that very storm is going on, the roots are going deeper and deeper and getting a firmer and firmer and firmer grip in the earth. And when the storm is over and the palm tree bounces back upright, it's twice as strong as it was before the storm started. It recognizes that that which destroys others is in fact an opportunity for it to come back, to grow, to get stronger, to get more mature. We are described, this is an article in Back to Godhead by Davida, as being beyond duality. One who serves the Lord with his full energy is free of material bondage, even while still living in the material world. In other words, at every moment, he understands himself to be transcendental to the pleasures and pains, the ups and downs of material existence. Even in the greatest difficulty, he remains undisturbed, serene in his transcendental loving relationship with Krishna. Whenever we're depressed or discouraged or doubts start to assail us, one good thing to do is to think of Lord Vishnu as he's lying down, and in his left hands, because he has four hands, so he has two left hands, he carries a conch shell and he carries a lotus. These are encouraging signs to those who keep the Lord first place. At the battle of Kurukshetra, when Krishna blew his conch shell, the Pandavas, the evildoers, when they heard the uproarious sound of Krishna's conch shell, it sounded incredibly ominous. They knew payback time. They knew that all the crimes, all the aggression they'd leveled at the blameless Pandavas, that now it was payback time. God coming to them in His cruel form is death. So the Lord promises that if you take the high road, if you don't get down there toe-to-toe -to -toe with your enemies, but you take the high road, then you will be, the time will come when you will see your enemies suffer. For the aggression they've performed against you. And in fact, Duryodhan at the end of the Kurukshetra war lay in the dirt with his hip broken, surrounded by jackals. And the lotus flower is a symbol of restoration. Lotus flower grows within mud and grows within water, and yet it never gets dirty, it never gets wet. You can splash it as much as you want, and a few minutes later it'll be bone dry. So Krishna promises. Say the Pandavas in the forest, it looked like they were getting weaker, it looked like their enemies were getting stronger, it looked like they could never overcome. But Krishna promises through the symbol of the lotus flower that He will restore you, that whatever you undergo and endure on His behalf, He will bring you out twice as healthy, twice as strong. You will remain in the world, but not of the world. Just like the lotus flower comes from mud, it comes from water, and yet it is always clean, it is always dry. You will also be restored. 
Three keys. Refuse to be discouraged under any circumstances. Remember that Krishna or God is always with me. Rely on Krishna's protection or guidance. If we get discouraged, that's a choice. Circumstances don't make us discouraged. Circumstances don't force us to be discouraged. At some point, you make a choice to throw in the towel. You make a choice to be discouraged. Some people, they've had horrible things happen to them and they get bitter. Other people have had the same things happen to them and they have gotten better for it. Between the words bitter and better, there's one letter difference. That one letter difference is I. We can't stop the storms of life from coming against us, but we can control the attitude and the way that we receive it. So whether you get better as a result of circumstances, or whether you get bitter and resentful and stuck in the past, it's really up to you, and to you only. So make the choice to focus on God's power rather than the problem, rather than the circumstances. Rather than focusing on the situation, focus on your Savior. And we all reach points where we've had a trial that's been going on for some considerable period of time, and we're running out of energy, our enthusiasm is dissipating, we're coming to the end of our rope. But if our purposes are lined up with God's purposes, when we come to the end of our rope, that's when God comes in with His full power, with His full presence, and with His full energy. It is said that if you have that hedge of protection of God's unlimited energy with you, you can walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You're not going to drown, you're not going to burn up, you're not going to die. No drunk driver is going to kill you. No gang member is going to shoot you on a drive-by shooting. No sickness is going to take you down. When your time is not arrived, then nothing, no power on heaven and earth is going to be able to take you down. So when we come to the end of human power, Krishna invokes His power. A good example of this in our own scripture is that of Prahlad Maharaj. Prahlad Maharaj was just a five-year-old defenseless boy. His only asset was that he constantly chanted, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. These are the names of God. Krishna means all attractive, Rama means the highest pleasure absolute, and Hare means the energies of the Lord. This was his constant practice. Now, his father was an unlimitedly vicious demon named Haranyakashipu. His name means golden soft bed, so you can infer what you will from that. And it irritated Haranyakashipu no end that his son was a theist and whose practice was chanting the names of the Lord. Now, Haranyakashipu had a sister equally equal to him. Her name was Holika. And she had a benediction from Brahma, the Lord of the universe, and she couldn't be burned by fire. She misused that benediction to burn babies. She'd kill many babies by entering into the fire with them, and the babies were burned and she walked out. So Aranyakashipu asked his sister Holika, take my son Prahlad into the fire. Let's see how much good his chanting Hare Krishna does him. Well, in fact, what happened was, Holika had been benedicted by Brahma. Prahlad was chanting the names of Krishna who creates millions and millions of universes and millions and millions of Brahmas. So what happened? When the benediction of Brahma came up against the benedictions of Krishna, Brahma's benediction collapsed. So on this occasion, Holika was burned and Prahlad walked out unscathed. When things look darkest, when it seems like there's no way, our reaction should be to start thanking the Lord. 
Thank you, Lord, for all these troubles are only temporary. Thank you, Lord, because I'm going to stay in faith and you're going to bring me through these troubles and you're going to bring me out better than I was before. When you think about it, Yudhisthira didn't really want the kingdom in Hastinapur. Yudhisthira wanted to be tight with Krishna. He wanted to serve Krishna who created everything and owns everything. Duryodhana wanted the kingdom. He ate the kingdom, he slept the kingdom, he breathed the kingdom, he committed crimes to get the kingdom, he stayed up at night scheming to get the kingdom. He wanted it, but in the end, he lay in the dust being eaten by vultures while Yudhisthira, who didn't even particularly try for the kingdom, got it. Why is that? It seems unfair. Well, Duryodhana sowed one kind of seeds and Yudhisthira sowed another kind of seeds. And they both got their due karmic reactions. Crude example that came to my mind, in 1980, my wife and I were living in Los Angeles. And we wanted to make some money so we could start a temple sometime in the future. At that time, the courts had broken up AT&T as a monopoly and Sprint and MCI came into existence. We got into a multi-level marketing program where we got $4 for every person we signed up from AT&T to Sprint. And then we got 1.5% of their phone bill. We practically lived in a truck stop at the corner of I-10 and I-15. Uh, we knew the owner. Uh, because truckers had such big phone bills that we thought that would be a good place to sign people up. I remember one young trucker, he'd just been married, and uh, he was very nervous about the faithfulness of his wife back in North Carolina, and his monthly bill was $900 a month. So we were going to get 1.5% for that. But the thing is, you sign someone up, and it takes 30 days to get them into the system and get them switched over. Then they get their bill. No, and then it takes 30 days of them using it, and then they get their bill. And then they have 30 days to pay the bill. And then it's another 30 to 60 days before you're processed and you get your residual income. So literally it's like six, eight, ten months before you even see a penny. And most people couldn't stay the course. Most people had day by day by day needs that they had to take care of. And they couldn't go for six or eight months without any income whatsoever. And it was hard for me and my wife. We had to live simply. We had to do a lot without a lot of things. But our mood was, we are going to come through this temporary difficulty and we're going to come out better than we were before. A few years after it was all said and done, I sat down and did the numbers. And I figured we made $160,000 from the time we spent in the truck stop. Uh, by the time we stopped working, the income started coming. If you were a bystander or an onlooker, you would have said, True, my Bobby, you're crazy, you're out of your mind, you're working for nothing, you're, 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 you're trimming your fat, you're pulling in your belt, and you're not getting anything for it. But we knew that in due course of time, our reward would be significant. I also calculated the number of hours we put in the endeavor, divided it into the total income, and figured that in retrospect, every hour we put into it, each one of us made $145 an hour. So Krishna consciousness is kind of like that. Whatever you endure for the Lord, there may be lean times, there may be troubles that beset you, but if you keep cheerful, if you keep in faith, that God, God notices everything. He doesn't take anything for granted. Every time you chant Hare Krishna, He notices that. And especially when you endure difficulty on His behalf, He pays very well. So in the times of difficulty, it's not the time to give up or throw in the towel. That's the time to get excited. That's the time to start thanking you, Lord. Thank you. 
you, Lord, because these difficulties are temporary and you pay very well. And I'm going to come through this with double the joy, double the peace, double the strength, double the health, double the friends, double the connections, double the prosperity. Same thing happened to Prahlad Maharaj. You know, his father, Ranikashiku, worked hard. He fought battles. He killed people. He foamed at the mouth. He schemed. And he finally got to the top of the hill. And he was killed. And after he was killed, everything was handed over to Prahlad Maharaj. What am I trying to say? Don't worry about your enemies. Don't let your enemies disturb you. Don't let your enemies depress you or dodge you. Your enemies are working for you. They're working for you. The Lord's not going to leave all that illicitly won wealth and prosperity in the hands of those that misuse it. Sooner or later, He'll take it from them forcibly if necessary, and He'll put it in the hands of those who use God's property to properly honor God. So don't worry about your enemies. They're working for you. All that they gather, all that they accumulate, all that they amass. In due course of time, the Lord will see to it that that wealth will be transferred into the hands of those that will use it properly. I was in Berkeley, California in 1975 and 1978 as the president of the Hare Krishna Temple there. And I loved it. I loved the Bay Area. I loved the temple we had. We had 120 hard-working devotees. It was a dream come true for a manager. We had a festival every year in Golden Gate Park that drew 20,000 people. We bought a 150-acre farm in Mendocino County. We had a school for the kids. Uh, we distributed up to a million dollars worth of Bhagavad Gita's every year. And I just couldn't imagine that I wouldn't be spending the rest of my life promoting Krishna consciousness in the Bay Area. I actually at the time thought Krishna needed me. <laughs> to spread Krishna consciousness in the Bay Area. I, I had no idea that he had other plans in mind. And I was shocked when some or other I was leveraged out. I know that when one door closes, a better door opens. But if you had come to me in 1978 and said, true, your higher calling, your higher destiny is going to be in Utah, I would have said, what planet are you from? You know, you better put your oilers back in the water. Put the dots back in your domino. I would have never believed you. But he's an amazing Lord. I mean, look at him. Standing with a flute to his lips. A threefold bed anyway with a peacock feather. He's got that glint in his eye. What is that glint in his eye? He says, don't try to outguess me. You can never predict. You can never guess. You can never anticipate what I'm going to do or the way that I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in such a clever, such an interesting, such a canny way that you can never just fasten your seatbelt, put on your hard hat, grab something, and get ready for the most exciting ride that you could possibly ever imagine. So let's not be depressed when one door closes. Let's thank the Lord. This door is closed. Thank you, Lord, that this door closed because you're going to open a better one. Never let circumstances dictate your mood. Let the promises and the character of the Lord guide you. Short poem. Thy ransom servant I restore to thee thy home, and from this moment live or die to serve my God alone. That's your mentality. That's your ambition. That's your aspiration. Nobody can take that away from you. 
If you insist on using or misusing God's property for wealth, or you insist on having your name, your fame in the newspaper, or if your proclivity or bent is to have a big, big bank account so that you'll be happy and you'll be comfortable and you'll promote your friends and your relatives and so on and so forth, all that can and will be taken away from you in due course of time. But if you simply want to serve the Lord who created millions of universes and whose property everything is, then you'll never be affected by the ups and downs and pleasures and pains of this material world. If the Lord wants victory, so be it. I will get the victory. I will live in opulence. If the Lord arranges it that there be defeat, so be it. I'll live very simply. I'll live in the street. I'll live in begging if I have to, as long as it's the will of the Lord and He doesn't kick me away. As long as He allows me to do some service, then I'm always a victor, and I'll never be a victim. Here it is said, Devotees know how to get along with humble means. They also know how to live in prosperity. In every and all circumstances, learn the secret to do all things with God in the center who strengthens me. Don't break under the circumstances. Don't try to force or dictate the circumstances. Bend with the circumstances and allow them to make you stronger, to grow you and mature you. The difference between devotionally minded people and non-devotionally minded people is not in what befalls them. Devotees don't get a pass. They may have financial problems just like everyone else. They may go through health difficulties just like everyone else. They may have relational problems just like everyone else. It's not in what approaches you that the difference lies, but it is in the attitude with which you accept it. The difference is not that devotees get a pass on the problems of life. It's not that there's an absence of problems in their lives, but along with the problems, there's the presence of their guide and their protector, their uh, tower of protection. <clears throat> My challenge today to you is, when you're down, don't stay down. Krishna didn't make us to settle in and to go along, to get along. He prompts us to step out in faith and look upon every setback as a setup. Every storm is an unprecedented opportunity to grow stronger. Every stumbling block is a potential stepping stone. Krishna prompts us to know that every time one door closes, a better door opens somewhere else. The bounce-back mentality comes from knowing that Krishna already has a great plan in place for our lives, and nothing can keep us from that great plan. As long as we get back after every fall, shake off the dust, and keep moving forward, we'll be through these temporary problems before we know it, and back in the eternal kingdom of bliss and knowledge in the very near future. And if you're inclined to chat with me, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare.